The reading this morning is from uh, the English Standard Version, uh, from Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 12, through chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The word of the Lord. And now you may be seated. Right, that's how it's done right there. Appreciate that. I just want you to know that if you call Asante Church your home, nobody's safe. All right, you could also be up here reading scripture as early as next week, so just <laughs> watch out. Hey, we are in Philippians 3 12 through 4 1 this morning, and uh, man, this has just kind of been one of those weeks where you are studying and preparing to read or to, <laughs> to preach on a certain amount of scripture, and uh, God just decides, hey, it's going to be more than just studying for this this week. You are going to experience this, uh, the full, full load of it. And so um, as I'm trying to work through things in my life, as I'm trying to deal with things that have come back up from my past that uh, I thought were dealt with, um, I found a book this week that was given to me by a dear friend years ago. And it's a, it's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spiritually by uh, an author and Christian counselor and theologian. His name is uh, Peter Scazzaro. And basically the premise, is, the premise of this book is that we can only be as spiritually mature as we are emotionally mature. And so as we go through Philippians 3, 12 through 4, 1 today, I think this plays into this perfectly. See, another premise in this book is that we really only ever give God 10% of our emotion. And in my life, I know for sure, I thought I'd given at least 20%. Um, it's this picture of an iceberg to cover this book. And an iceberg is only 10% out of the water and 90% under the water. And it's this idea of we only really trust God to take care of the 10% that's outside of the water in our lives. So we need to mature in Jesus. We need to hand over the rest of our emotions to him. Not only because he can handle them, but because he can bring restoration, because he can repurpose. 
And when we work through those, when we mature emotionally, it will allow us to mature further spiritually. So today, our big takeaway is spiritual maturity is an all-in process. And the reason we need this is because we need to realize that we are not perfect, certainly not perfect, but we need to move forward in Jesus because Jesus is the only one that is perfect in our lives. We need to embrace the process of God maturing us, and we need to surround ourselves with other people that are mature spiritually, but also that are in the process alongside of us. We need brothers and sisters that we can lock arms with, that we can walk side by side with, because being spiritually matured is not easy. Spiritual immaturity is easy. And so if we do not take hold of this scripture today, then we are at risk to be uncommitted to Jesus. We are at risk to be spiritually immature. We are at risk to be led astray because we ourselves do not know what we believe, and we are at risk of losing sight of what Jesus has ahead of us. So this morning, before we even dive into scripture any further than we have, the first point this morning is that we have to go all in for Jesus. We have to go all in for Jesus because spiritual maturity is an all-in process. As Greg just read, Philippians 3, 12 through 14, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting that which lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what is Paul saying here? That's a lot of fancy words. It's a lot of commas. It's a weird placement. It's a strange way to structure a sentence. What Paul is saying here, starting in verse 12, is that I am by no means perfect. This means that Paul is identifiable. Paul wanted to put himself up on a shelf and say, hey, try to be like me because I have it all together. No one could obtain that. But Paul is saying, I am by no means perfect. I still struggle. I still sin. I still live in this broken world like you. And I will continue to struggle. And I will continue to not be perfect. I will continue to have sin struggle in my life until I die and reach my glorified state that can only be found in Jesus. So I am by no means perfect, Paul is saying, but I am getting this down. I'm starting to figure this out. Because of that, I am going all in for Jesus because Jesus went all in for me. I'm figuring out the balance between faith and works, and works that are based out of faith, not in order to be saved. I'm working through God's call on my life, but my response is to be all in for Jesus. Because Jesus went all in for me, and when he went all in for me, he went all in with his very life. So I now, Paul is saying, I now live out of a repurposed life. I have been repurposed to go after what God has for me. Verses 13 and 14, he says, I've got my eyes on the prize ahead. I'm not worrying about what is behind me, but I'm going for the prize of true life in Jesus. My focus Paul is saying, in the midst of house arrest in Rome, in the midst of the struggle that he's been going through, his focus remains on heaven that is before him, not the hell that his life has been behind him. This prize, 
was the life ahead. This prize was the fullness and the blessing and the perfect fellowship with Jesus when we are reunified with him, when we are fully in his presence once we get to heaven. That is what Paul is focused on. That is what Paul is going for. So he's decided not to let his past slow him down, not to let his past trip him up. No, instead, he's moving forward. He's moving forward in Jesus for the gospel so that one day he may be resurrected just as Jesus was. And we should do the same. But in order to move forward and to stay focused on what is ahead of us, I think there are some times that we have to deal with our past. And that's the, that's the key word here. We have to deal with our past. We are not called to dwell on our past. We're called to deal with it. I think sometimes in order for us to move forward, we have to take a step back. If I know in athletics, if you're going to really move forward with a lot of speed, you've got to first brace yourself on a music stand or a mic behind you. <laughs> got a little friendly there. I'm going to come over here. You have to brace yourself. You have to take a step back, brace yourself, and then once you've got your momentum, you move forward, and you move forward with power. There's things in our lives that we need to hand over to Jesus if we are truly going to move forward in the gospel for the sake of Jesus toward heaven, focused on heaven. But in order for us to really move forward spiritually, we've got to deal with some things emotionally. That's kind of the place where I've found myself this week, having thought that I've dealt with these things healthily in my walk with Jesus and realizing once I hit a wall, which was an absolute gift from God, that these things were not fully handled in my life. These things were not fully submitted to God. I've got some things that I need to deal with so that I no longer have to dwell on them. And so my question for you is, where are you in your emotional health? Where are you with things from your past that need to be dealt with if you're truly not going to think about it anymore? Now, to be emotionally immature would be to ignore that. It would be to say, well, God's got that, and I don't need to deal with that whatsoever. I'm forgiven. I'll forgive them if I just don't have to process this anymore. And that's emotional immaturity. But emotional maturity would be to actually address those things. Because you may be able to stop thinking about those things mentally, intellectually, but the heart doesn't forget the heart needs healing. The heart needs those things to be dealt with. Not dwelled on, but dealt with so that you can move forward in Jesus. And so how much of your past have you actually handed over to Jesus? Are you the iceberg that's only 10% out of the water and that's all you've really trusted to him? Jesus did a lot of work on the cross. And a lot of that was for the forgiveness of your sin. But a lot of that was to make you clean. A lot of that was restoration. It was to put you back together. See, we are broken people. And when Jesus died for us, when he had victory over sin, over death, over the enemy, he rose from the grave. He puts us back together. In Jesus, you are no longer a broken person. So take all those broken pieces and hand them over to him and allow him to start to put you back together. We deal with it so we don't have to dwell on it so that we can focus on the prize of life that is ahead, so that we can move forward. So like Paul, 
We're not perfect yet. We're still in the process, just as he admits he is himself. And because of that, I got to tell you this morning, our second point, you're a piece of work. All right? (laughs) That's biblical. You can't argue it. You know what? You're not alone. I'm the biggest piece of work here. We're pieces of work together. We are in this together, and we are working through it. So, being pieces of work, spiritual maturity is an all-in, very long process. Philippians 3, 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So verse 15, Paul is saying, Those of us that are mature in Jesus, let us go this direction together to obtain everything that God wants for us. And when Paul says mature, this can also be translated as perfect. All right, so hey, if you're perfect like me, we're going this way. What Paul is doing here is he's using irony. He's saying that all of you who think you're perfect, really none of us are, let's continue to press on toward our reward that is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. For those of you that are still immature, hey, guess what? God's going to reveal it to you. He's going to work it out in you. Most of the time, God reveals those things, and it just takes time. So if you got saved two weeks ago, if you gave your life to Jesus two weeks ago, guess what? You're not going to be a biblical scholar overnight. This is a process. There are no overnight transformations in our lives with Jesus. It's further up, further in, slow and steady every single day. And so if there are things in your life that you just don't know yet because you don't know yet, it's because God has not revealed them to you. So if you feel like you are ready, ask God to reveal them to you so that you can work through them. But I would also say that a lot of times things are not revealed to us out of kindness because God knows that we are not emotionally or spiritually mature enough to deal with the things that have happened in our past. And so as he brings them up, we deal with it so that we don't dwell on it and we move forward in Jesus. Verse 16, he says, we're all headed in the right direction, so please don't stray. We are all somewhere in the process, and all of us being somewhere in the process makes us pieces of work. As believers, God is making us more like Jesus, and examples of it taking time is you can look at the disciples. You can look at this group of 12 men that followed Jesus for three of the best years of his life, three years of his ministry on earth. And so many of those guys did not get it until he was crucified and then resurrected. And some of those guys didn't get it until the Holy Spirit came to live inside of them. They're like, oh, okay, I kind of get what Jesus was saying now. One of those guys never got it, and he betrayed Jesus. His name was Judas. When you look at Paul, you see Paul on the road to Damascus, and you see that he has this incredible, miraculous experience where he is, he has, the Lord comes and sees him in person, this blinding light, and then scales fall over his eyes, and he needs to go and, and get them healed by a Jewish man in Damascus. And we kind of just pick up on the next page like, oh, yeah, Paul just, he started planting churches immediately. He knew everything he needed to about Jesus. Like, this guy had it set because he met Jesus. What we don't realize is that Paul actually took two, maybe three years off, spent it alone, figuring things out, spent it with other apostles, trying to confirm this gospel that he received straight directly from the Lord, making him not just a disciple, but an apostle. 
It takes time. So please, this morning, wherever you are with Jesus, if you feel like you are an infant or if you feel like you are a giant, keep embracing the process. Keep surrendering yourself to Jesus. Keep lowering the water on that iceberg. Keep handing over the broken pieces of your life because he is working something out in you that will make you more like him if you continue to surrender to him. So, what does spiritual maturity look like? Paul says, no, I'm not perfect, but we are running the race. We are going this way toward spiritual maturity. Don't go for spiritual immaturity. We're going this way. Here in a second, he will say, come along with us. So what is spiritual maturity that we should strive for as we submit more of ourselves to Jesus? Well, it's the same thing we've talked about throughout this book of Philippians. It's having the mind of Christ. And having the mind of Christ means loving and serving others. It means putting their needs before our own. It means humbling ourselves. But the thing is, is we cannot have the mind of Christ if Christ is never actually on our minds. That doesn't make sense. That's an impossibility. Which means we need to spend time with Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus in two ways that we'll hit this morning. One is in our work. And one is in our rest, but we need to spend time with Jesus. Now, I know a lot of us would say that we wake up in the morning and we spend time with Jesus by reading our devotional. Maybe we read like a psalm. Maybe it's a proverb based off of whatever day of the month it is. Maybe we read a chapter of of some gospel. Maybe we've got a Bible study plan that we're going through. I don't know about you, But that being filled up for the day by 30 minutes in the morning, maybe less, maybe more, depending on who you are in your stage in life, that doesn't last me all day. If I'm filling up for the day, I'm getting to noon, and the people around me are starting to think, does this guy even read his Bible? Once I get to dinner, my wife is thinking, this dude definitely doesn't read his Bible. I'm not even sure he's a Christian. And when I get to bedtime, if I get to bedtime, everyone in the house just assumes I'm an atheist, okay? It doesn't work like that for me. I don't know if that's how it works for you. If that's how it works for you, how is that going? Are you filled with the mind of Christ all throughout your day? I would be bold to say probably not. I'd say maybe you have a devotional. Maybe you get through traffic and when you get to work, maybe you just used up all the devotional in traffic. Maybe you used it up on your boss or the person at work that just nags you, who never gets their job done who's a liability to the company. I don't know. How about by the time you get home? Is it filling you up? Are you still living in the Spirit? Are you still having the mind of Christ towards your family? Or is it all spent and put to use throughout the workday? So let's spend some time with Jesus. I'm going to introduce an idea that is an ancient treasure to the church and an idea that comes from emotionally healthy spiritually called the daily office. And I believe for myself, the daily office is a great solution to the mass amounts of Jesus that I need in my day if I'm going to continue to have the mind of Christ. And so I think that it would work for you too. And I would like to invite you to join me as I implement the daily office in my life throughout my day, whether that's in the morning before work, at work during the day, or at home at night. But basically, this is the idea of spending time with God in the morning, in the evening, and at night. 
throughout history. This thing has been called fixed hour prayer. It's been called divine office or the liturgy of hours. And all those are fancy ways to put, I am set, all of those are fancy ways to say, I am putting time aside, devoted to Jesus, to focus on him. We see that Jesus had to do this himself. So if Jesus had to do this, why would we not have to do this? Jesus woke up early, got away from the disciples, and he went and he prayed to the Father. During his day, he communed with the Father still, and at the end of the day, while the disciples went to sleep, after dinner, Jesus stayed up late. He spent time with the Father. So, the daily office, the thing that keeps us from being overactive like Martha and attentive and contemplative like Mary. The daily office requires stopping, taking a break in your day, stepping back and realizing that this world, that your life, it can and it will go on without you. So take a deep breath with me. I know we got a lot of A-type people in here. We'll start a club, okay? It'll be like a 12-step program. How to get over being in control of everything. Maybe you'll show up, and if you do, it'll be 15 minutes early because you're A-type. We've got to realize that the world will go on without us. We have to realize that God is in control. We have to allow ourselves to break away and be unhurried with God. And I will say, as you plan these out throughout your day, implement them in your life, the quality of your time with God is much more important than the quantity of your time with God. So we stop. It takes stopping. It takes centering. It says stuff like this all over the book of Psalms, but two in particular, Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. I would say take five minutes to enter into this time with God. And once you're in it, a clinical Christian psychologist and author by the name of James Finley would prescribe that we open ourselves up to God, that we get away from people, that we be still, that we sit straight, that we breathe slow, that we breathe deep, and that we breathe naturally. Things start going wrong at work, stuff starts going sideways, a project's going downhill, things are not going according to plan. Kids are just going crazy at home. You name it. Take note of your breathing. Take note of what your body is doing to react to the stress around you. And then realize, I need to take some time. I need to step back. And in that, there's silence. That's our third step of the daily office. Dallas Willard called silence and solitude the two most radical disciplines of the Christian life. And so if you are about to implement this in your life, congratulations, you are a radical Christian. Get away from people. Be present with God. Get quiet and listen for his still, for his very small whisper to your heart. I promise you it will be worth it. And once you have stopped, once you have centered, once you have silenced, open up some scripture. Spend time reading and reflecting on God's word. Throughout time, this daily office has been filled with people using the Psalms. People read a chapter of the Psalms. They'll read one verse of the Psalms. They'll just sit there and contemplate 
what is God saying to me in this right here, right now? And I would say, when you get alone in Scripture, find whatever it takes. Find whatever is necessary for you. I know that I couldn't sit down and read six chapters because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to apply six chapters worth of the Bible in that one sitting. No, you're going back, but find what works for you. Find what doesn't work for you. And if it's distracting to you, then don't apply it to your time with God. But let it be centered and surrounded with Scripture. Let God speak into your life, into your heart, into your day, so that you can have the mind of Christ because your mind is filled with the Word of Christ. It is filled with Jesus. And the second thing, that's as we work, right? So this is six days a week. Really, you can even pull that over into this next thing, which we're about to talk about, which is on the seventh day. It's something that's called the Sabbath, but that is as we work. And so let's spend time with Jesus as we work, but let's also spend time with Jesus as we rest. And when we rest, this is a practice, part of the old covenant called the Sabbath, but something that is still equally important to us today. And so what is the Sabbath? Get ready. A type's about to stress out. B-types are about to be on vacation. Easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl up in here for you B-types. The Sabbath is taking one 24-hour period off every single week. The Sabbath, it is a gift of rest from God. Not only is it a gift from God, it is a command of God. We often forget this command. We are very serious about don't murder people. We are very serious about don't steal from people. We are very serious about um, not committing adultery. To respond to that. <laughs> Siri don't know what the Sabbath is either, okay? <laughs> Be quiet. I got something going on up here. I'm kind of busy right now. Awesome. We don't take the Sabbath seriously. It is something that is absolutely counter-cultural. And really, every time we neglect the Sabbath, all we're asking is for detrimental things to happen in our lives because we are not a people that are designed to work and work and work and work and work. We're not a people that are designed to just do a little bit of work all seven days so that we can rest a little bit all seven days. God worked six days, and on the seventh day, he didn't need to rest, but he rested to set an example for us. The Sabbath serves us. We do not serve the Sabbath. It is something that we need to do and not always something that we want to do. Jesus, in Mark 2, 24, says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so we don't let the Sabbath dictate what we do, but we let it guide us into rest. Paul would say in one of his letters that it is important that we honor and observe the Sabbath. And no, we don't have to follow it to the letter of the law and do it on the same day every single week, starting at the same time, making sure that absolutely nothing happens. But he said, this is absolutely something that we should still observe in our lives. So it's critical. It's critical for us that we would observe the law the moral law that we still apply morally into our lives today. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, it is important that we trust God if we're going to have the mind of Christ by saying, I'm going to take a step back. And it is important that we follow God's example because God worked, which means we work. God rested, 
which means we rest. So when it comes to the Sabbath, the Sabbath requires, again, stopping. Scheduling your week to allow for rest. What you can do in seven, do in six, and allow yourself an off day. That means leaving projects, work, email, messages, balancing the checkbook, everything else for another day. Guys, we're smart people. We got calendars. We got calendars that are so full. I don't care if it's a Google calendar, an Apple calendar, or just a calendar up on your fridge, or maybe you're just so smart you keep it all in here and you never miss an appointment. That's not me. It's a special person. We can schedule, we can format our days to include and allow for rest. And when we do so, we're leaving everything in God's hands and saying, I trust you to take care of the world for me this day. I am going to do what you told me to, and that is rest. And then there is resting. So we stop, and then we rest. God rested after his work. We do the same. And again, we stop working for 24 hours. So that means nothing that consumes energy from you is fit into this time slot. That means nothing that that adds worry to your life or stress is fit into this time spot. We replace work with the things that fill our hearts back up. Things like dating your spouse, things like enjoying recreation, whatever that is, outside of sin. Things like reading, things like spending time with your kids, things like going out for dinner, things like taking a nap. All God's people said amen. Jesus took naps. You should take naps. Follow Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. How are you not going to have the mind of Christ if you're not napping like Jesus? I don't know. You should do it. Third thing is we delight. We find delight in what God has given to us. Genesis 1.31, God stepped back at the end of all of creating creation. And God, after finishing his work of all creation, proclaimed that it was very good. Let's fill our lives with things that are very good. Let us enjoy creation and creation's gift. There's something that happens neurologically as we get into nature. Our minds, our brains start to repair themselves. It's something that you can find. I almost said on radar. It's definitely not on radar. Nope, the word's not coming. Uh, Not CAT scans. Anyways, we're moving on. (laughs) We enjoy creation and its gifts. We look for beautiful beautiful things around us, and we experience those things, and we delight in the people around us, and we are present with those people. We delight in play, whether it's in sports, whether it's in dance. I don't know. Maybe you want to learn how to do the salsa with your spouse, whether it's in games, whether it's in hobbies. We fill our hearts with things that will restore them, And we find restoration in things that we enjoy. And then while we are resting, we contemplate. It takes contemplating. It means thinking about the love of God. Thinking about your eternal life that is ahead. This is the very thing that Paul says he is pushing toward. He's going to press on. He is thinking about heaven and the perfect life in Jesus that is to come. And so surround yourself with things that are of heaven. Surround yourself with good music. Surround yourself with good people. Surround yourself with beauty. For me, musically, that looks like taking it back to the 90s, throwing a little Rich Mullins worship in there. And also, I said good music. I didn't just say worship music, so you're probably going to have to have some Led Zeppelin or something like that thrown in there. All right? We're thinking about good things. And then throwing some more modern worship music in there. I'm centering my heart 
on God and I'm surrounding myself with beautiful things because it is reminding me of the heaven that is to come. You guys remember snow days? If you grew up in Arizona, guess what? You don't. You don't. You don't remember snow days. All right, so growing up in Texas, anytime it would snow over half an inch, like the whole state would shut down because that snow wasn't about to stick and it was still freezing outside. And so that snow would melt and it would turn into something called black ice, which is just another, you could basically translate that into don't drive on this or you'll get in a bad accident. Uh, any, any bridge, just don't even get close to it. People would try and they would make it halfway up and you'd be watching the news on a snow day, Fox 4, and they'd just be sliding back down. And you'd be laughing as you're starting to look for your school at the bottom of the screen. God has built in 52 snow days a year for us. I remember the beauty of snow days. I remember thinking, I'm going to beat this video game. I'm going to beat that video game. I'm going to eat all those Oreos. I'm going to drink all that Gatorade. I'm going to watch all the Cartoon Network. Uh, Great childhood I had. (laughs) Restorative. And then I got a little older, and my mom just turned them into house project days. That's not what we're supposed to do with our Sabbath. Don't paint an entire room. It's because you're bored with the color. My mom's not here. I can say all of this today, okay? (laughs) Sorry, Mom, if you're listening to this later. But we rest, and we find restoration. Third point this morning, don't be a loser. Follow the leader. Don't be a loser. Follow the leader. Do not let anyone lead you astray from spiritual maturity because it is an all-in process. Philippians three seventeen through 19, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. In verse 17, Paul is saying, hang with me. Not only me, but hang with me and those that are running the race in the same direction around me and join us. We're going this way, go with us. And what we see here is this is great leadership from Paul. Paul is leading from the front. Paul is leading by example. He's saying, I have experienced these things in Jesus, and I want these things that I've experienced in my life to show up in your life too. And so if you want that for yourself, then follow me as we march forward, as we press on towards the prize that is in Jesus. Please follow me as I follow Jesus. So to my leaders in here, to my A-types, I know there's B-type leaders too, to y'all too, all right? Leaders in the workplace, leaders at home, leaders in the school, leaders on a team, lead like Paul leads as he seeks to follow Jesus. As you seek to follow Jesus, bring people with you. Lead by example, lead from the front, lead from humility out of a place of service. But please do not lead by yourself. Do not lead nobody. That's a joke. Bring other people with you. Verses 18 and 19, Paul saying, don't end up like those that have become enemies of Jesus. They've become their own gods. Their race will come to a dead end. They will be destroyed, and they only think about themselves and worldly things. And in this, we see that we can serve ourselves. That is an option. We can be our own gods. That is an option. But if you do, know that there is consequence for that choice. You will be an enemy of Jesus. You will 
come to a dead end. You will be destroyed. So this means we can choose Jesus, or we can choose ourselves. This means we can choose heaven. We can choose hell. So what does it look like to go God's direction, to go God's way? It is having the mind of Christ, humbly serving and being concerned about others. What does it look like to go the way of his enemies, the, world way, the world's way? It means caring only about ourselves, highly valuing our pref- preferences. Always only consuming and never putting back in, being served and worshiping ourselves. Fourth and final point this morning, something to look forward to. For once, in the book of Philippians, we're not ending on suffering, but we are ending with an encouraging note. Fourth and final point this morning is that we belong to more, and so we wait for more. We belong to more, so we wait for more. Spiritual maturity is an all-in process that has a glorious reward. Philippians 3, 20 through 4, 1. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We wait for him who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul's saying there's so much more for us. There is so much more. We are kingdom people and we await our king who will make us like him. In the same physical body, that we will receive when we get to go be with him by the same power that he used to put everything in place in all of creation. And so what Paul is doing here is he's beautifully recapping everything that he's already stated up until this point, but in a deeper explanation. He's saying, this is who you are. Reminder, this is your true citizenship. You belong to the king. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. This is who you belong to. Reminder, You are God's, you are not Caesar's. This is where you belong. Remember, you are just visiting here before you come home. And that will be sooner than you expect. And so because this is who we are, because this is who we belong to, because this is where we belong, this means that we join Jesus in serving. This means that we join Jesus in suffering. But this means that those things lead to joining Jesus in his resurrection. I know there's a lot of aches and pains in this church physically. I know sometimes it hurts to get out of bed. I know sometimes it hurts just to walk down the street. I know sometimes it hurts just taking the trash can back to your backyard. It's only temporary. If we press on towards the goal, towards the prize of life, fully mature, fully perfected in Jesus we will receive resurrected bodies, glorified bodies, 2.0. I'm talking like it just looks like you did nothing but eat lean protein and P90X your whole life once you get to heaven, okay? One of the many things we have to look forward to in Jesus, and Paul would have known this because this is a man that suffered. This is a man that was beaten. This was a man that was broken. There's so much more we have to look forward to, so please hold strong, press on, Press on in trials. Hold strong. Press on in suffering. Hold strong. Press on because God is using these things to mature you. And hold strong and press on in Jesus. Because our end is only a victory. 
and our end in Jesus, in resurrection, is absolutely worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we so desperately need you. Jesus, I pray that in the midst of trials that you would help us to press on in you, that we wouldn't try to take it on our own, that we wouldn't try to live out of our own strength, but that we would be dependent on you and the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us because we belong to you. Jesus, help us to look forward to the prize that is ahead of us. Help us to press on. Help us to hold strong. And Jesus, help us to be more mature spiritually. Help us to be more mature emotionally so that we could be more mature spiritually. Help us to hand the broken pieces of our lives over to you for you to deal with, for you to walk alongside us as you deal with them so that we do not dwell on them. Jesus, help us to have your mind Help us to have the minds of Christ as we go throughout our day because of the time that we spend with you and also the time that we spend resting in you. And Jesus, help us to operate as kingdom citizens that are not far from home. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.